Hey everyone, welcome to Pod Rocket. Today I'm here with Sam Scott, who's the co-founder and CTO at Oso. Is that how, how you pronounce it? Oso, like, is that like it's uh, bear and exactly yeah, in Spanish for bear exactly. Yeah. Awesome. I, I remember, I remember from my uh, sixth grade Spanish class the animal unit. So that came to mind. Um, and I guess your your logo is a bear, so I probably should have known that as well. Exactly. Um, so yeah, uh, excited to learn about what you're building. Uh, can you give us a quick overview, uh, to what is Oso? Yeah, sure. So, um, first of all, thanks for having me on. Um, it's kind of good to be here. So, I mean, basically the, the, the goal of Oso is to reduce the time developers spend on building authorization in their applications. Um, and so I think, you know, most people interact with these features, you know, as users, as the way that you, you know, assign different permissions inside an application, you know, the things that you're allowed to interact with, maybe the, um, you know, think about something like Google Docs, where you can, uh, you know, maybe share different files with people, you can give them different levels of access, like, you know, viewer editor, uh, commenter, things like that. Um, and basically, you know, this is work that pretty much every single development team in the planet is just doing themselves from scratch, normally spending, you know, doing three, four, five different iterations, you know, spending anywhere from like a few months to multiple years to, you know, ongoing. And basically the, the goal of OSA is to reduce that time. So people aren't spending time on authorization and instead get to focus on their core app. Got it. And so we've spoken on the podcast before to a bunch of companies kind of attacking off from different directions. Um, we've spoken with Stitch and um, I think we spoke to Auth0. We spoke to um, clerk.dev. So we, we've spoken to a bunch of those how does Oso compare to to those types of companies and, and products? Great, great question. Um, so yeah, Auth, as it's like kind of often all lumped together, is a it's a ginormous space covering, you know, everything from I mean, there's like authentication, authorization, two big separate concepts, um, but also you know there is multiple different places where you even care about doing authentication, authorization, right? There is you know, building it into your product, your app, you know, if you're on a product team, building it into your app. And then there's, you know, the pieces you interact with in AWS to get access to your infrastructure. There is, um, you know, things that happen inside internal corporate. So it, it's a giant, giant space. So there's, dip, you know, multiple different companies attacking different parts of this. Um, and I think, you know, historically, I think a lot of people have been focused on the authentication side of things. Um, this is more around... Basically, you know, logging into applications, you know, identity, it's, you know, everything from, you know, signing in with username and passwords, doing multi-factor authentication, you know, integrating with single sign-on solutions, you know, when you can, you know, log in with your Google account, stuff like that. All of that kind of thing is covered in the, the authentication side of side of the world. Um, so when you think about uh, something like an Okta or an Auth0, that is kind of typically their wheelhouse, user's identity, user management, logins. Um there are some, I think, you know, authentication as a space is still uh, relatively new, I'd say. So, you you know, you do see new startups coming along like uh, like Clerk, who um, I think they're, one thing I love about them is they are taking a very developer-centric view of the world. Like, how do we make this as easy as possible for developers to use, to integrate with their apps, to, to you know, produce a really great uh, product experience? Um, and so there's, you know, a lot going on in that, in that area. Auth- authorization is, I think, in many ways, an even younger space. Um, there aren't really any, you know, existing, uh, you know, dominant vendors who've been around for a while doing this. Um, we could maybe talk about why that is later, but, you know, ultimately, you know, authorization is, 
you know, now that you know who somebody is, you've logged them in, you've authenticated them. You know, I know that I'm, you know, Sam or, or whatever that is. Um, deciding what the person is allowed to do. So that's the core of authorizations. Like now I know who you are. What can you do inside the application? You know, can you see this document? Are you allowed to edit on it? Can you, you know, are you allowed to create such and such a thing? Can you invite other users to it? You know, all of those questions about what are you allowed to do inside the app? Got it. So basically that distinction between authentication, which is like figuring out who the person is, how do they securely log in? But then once you know who they are, what what can they do? What what you know? What can they view? What can what, what can they edit? All those kind of things. Um, so, like prior to to Oso existing, would you say like the majority of companies just build their own system from scratch, or were there other tools on the market or frameworks or products that that help there? Yeah, it was. I would say it was. It's largely do it yourself. Uh, I think every you know most web frameworks their ecosystems will have packages that exist in the space to, to kind of roll something yourself inside the app. Um, I think, you know, the Rails, Rails ecosystem, for example, obviously Rails being around a long time, has a very, very healthy ecosystem. Uh, so there's some packages there called things like CanCan or the successor CanCanCan <laughs> uh, or Pundit, for example, which, you know, packages you know, explicitly for Rails that can sort of help you build something inside your Rails app for authorization. Um, but those... I think those tend to be, um, I mean, for the record, I think those are both like great packages, for example, but they tend to focus, I'd say, more on the the simpler side of the use cases. They still require you to do quite a lot of work yourself on top of it. And there's sort of not many just like out of the box, you know, everything included packages that will just handle everything. Got it. And so what does it look like to use Oso? So when you get started, how does it integrate? What does it apps does it integrate with? And then kind of walk me through how it works. Yeah, so the so we have like a, a cloud offering, the uh, called Oso Cloud. It's basically you know your typical SaaS product that gives you um, a couple of things. You know, there's an API for configuring your authorization logic, which you do through writing you know authorization policies. So you describe who can do what. You have simple APIs for basically managing your authorization data. So you know if I want to create, you know I want to add teams to my to my product then you know the kind of things I need to do, I need to have the data modeling for Teams, I need to have the authorization logic, I need to build out the APIs to you know, assign users to Teams and so on and so on. Um, all of that you get through, through Oso Cloud. So basically the, the kind of workflow for doing that is you, you, write your authori- you write your policy logic to say, you know, I want Teams. And you know, we already have a baked-in data model that can just handle that kind of thing for you. Um, so all you really need to do is just like add a couple of lines to your app to say, you know, to call the API to say, you know, add such and such to a team, or, you know, when I want to check, can someone do something? It's just going to use that extra data model of teams to, to make that decision. Um, so really, it's just a case of configure it with policies, integrate the APIs, you're sort of good to go, add, add any new authorization features you need. And this is maybe a naive question, but why, why is Oso a SaaS product versus like, you know, typically this would just live in code as, you know, rules in your in your back end that determine you know wh- wh- when uh you know for a given resource what users can and can't do you'd have teams in your database like why build this as a separate saas product that interfaces with your application via api yeah it's a great question so we didn't so we actually didn't start out with the cloud product so we actually started with um the oso library which is an a fully open source product and it's a library that you just integrate to your application the um basically what we found is that the Oso library is actually is pretty good for sort of monolithic use cases. 
So again, thinking back to that, you know, you have a single Rails app or you have maybe a single Python, you know, Django application, something like that. Uh, the Yoso library there is actually a really nice fit just to integrate into your application to kind of like add, um, you know, don't add any extra infrastructure or, or kind of um, you know, dependencies on third third parties and you're sort of ready to go. You get kind of mostly the same experience as the cloud product. You still get to, you know, write authorization logic as your as policies, um, but it kind of integrates with your your local data. So what we found though is that, um, you know, I think more and more we see a lot of people are operating in, you know, microservice environments or, you know, bare minimum, you know, multiple service, service oriented kind of architectures. Um, we And we found that a lot of people were, you know, even using the library product, they were investing a lot of time into kind of the data modeling piece, like figuring out the right schemas, you know, coming back to that Teams example, it's like, you want to add Teams to your app, you need to figure out, okay, what what's the data model look like? Like what, you know, do I do my database migration? How do I think about that? How do I integrate these kinds of things? Um, and so basically through that experience of the OSO library, we just, we found that there was more we could basically do for our users if we just gave them a kind of set of APIs, um, both in terms of doing less thinking about the data modeling, much easier for us to make this, you know, highly performant and scalable, stuff like that. And then for people in those multiple service or microservice architectures, uh, this was just becoming work that they were themselves doing otherwise. Like everyone we were speaking to was like building authorization microservices with OSO library already. And we just, you know, felt we could save them that work. And tell me a bit more about how you actually define your policies. Is it, is it configuration as like, do you write code or is it a YAML or JSON or is it a GUI? Like, how does that work? Yeah. So we, so we actually developed the, uh, the polar language, which is a language, it's a policy language for writing authorization logic. Um, it sort of has its roots in logic-based programming. So we're sort of inspired by things like uh, Prolog and Datalog, um, and more recently something called Minicanron as, as ways that we'd allow people to express authorization logic. And this was, you know, this is always, this has been forever kind of like a really interesting part of the development process for us, which is that, you know, authorization logic, it's so, it's so inherently like conditionally Boolean logic, lots of branching logic, you know, it's like you can see a document if you belong to a group and the group has a membership of the folder that the file is in. And it's like all these, like if this, then this, otherwise this, that, you know, all that branching logic um, just means that having sort of a declarative logic-based language is this really nice paradigm fit for it. And so that's kind of the, at the center of uh, OSO policies is, is this polar language. Um, got some incredibly strong, like primitive, uh, powerful primitives for building logic. And basically though, what we've done on top of that, because we don't want people to have to become experts in the language to be able to write stuff, we sort of provide these um, kind of building blocks on top of it. So, you know, for things like, or if you just want to add, uh, you know, groups to your application, you want to add something like Teams, we want it just to be the case of you say like, give me Teams. <laughs> and then we say, sure, like, here you go. And um, so you kind of get that, like, you know, you have the power under the hood, but we give you this sort of like high level abstractions. Got it. And did you, you know, when you decided to go with the DSL approach, like creating this new language poll, or was it just that none of, you didn't see a way to do it using existing tools? Like you mentioned some of those languages like Prolog or even, you know, doing it more in like a uh, declarative language that are, you know, a popular declarative language. You just didn't think it would be as clean as crafting yeah. DSL. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So, I mean, funnily enough, I mean, the 0.01 of Polar was actually just a Python library itself. Like, okay. you'd, yeah. it was pure Python and you would, you know, we just exposed APIs for it. 
Um, but we found that the things you had to do just didn't even look like Python anymore. By the, by, you know, you could, you're constructing these weird objects and it's, it was, it was effectively a DSL in itself. Um, so that was kind of like pushed us towards a DSL approach. I think the, you know, we did, we did look at, should we just use, uh, you know, an existing Prolog implementation? I think one of the things that, um, Prolog, one of the things I find really interesting about Prolog is, is, it's very, it's conceptually very different to how we think about normal programming languages in that it, it actually has kind of a very simple, um, kind of the core logic of it is, is quite simple. And in some ways, the power of it is it's just like a conceptually simple model that is really good for building DSLs rather than it being like, um, you know, the language itself is something that you really want to necessarily just like use as is. It's in some ways, it's kind of built to be good for building DSLs. Um, and so, you know, when we were just looking at the kinds of things we wanted to do, you know, to have one of the things we were keen on having was uh, sort of a static type system authorization, very centric around like what data am I protecting? You know, I'm protecting a document. We wanted to have like a you know type system be a core part of it. We knew that it'd be important to integrate with application data. Like all of these aspects just meant that, you know, it made sense for us to build a language that could just like semantically have those as core concepts rather than it be something that was um, kind of like, artificially tacked on like after the fact and so it's kind of the, the, the mix of those two things it's like you know prologue itself is well suited to building your own thing on top of it and then um you know we had specific things we wanted to, to have in the language and you bring up a, a good point there about like how application data is central to writing your policies and you know you can imagine like if you have a your kind of typical enterprise SaaS role-based role access control there might be different parts of your application that different users have different roles and they can do different things. And like, you need to have that state from your application database as inputs to your rules. So how does that work? Like, are you, since every, is it like, since everything is interfacing through API, you kind of just send over in your API requests, the data that we relevant and then the rule processes that like, is that way the, the right way to think about it? Uh, this, this may be part of it. So for, um, so for our first cloud, actually, you know, the focus is on us being, being your authorization service. Like if you were to build this yourself, what is all the functionalities you expect it to do? And so when I talk about, I mean, when you think about things like, um, yeah, role-based access or, you know, assigning users to groups and accessing based on that, um, sharing, sharing things with people, all of that data is like managed by the OSO service. Cause that is kind of its core responsibility is to give you that functionality. Um, so like a lot of that core data, you know, a lot of that authorization data that will live in OSA cloud. So when it needs to make an authorization decision, it, it uses that. Um, but like oftentimes, you know, the, the, the piece that you said is true. Um, the, the scenario you described is also useful for when you have external inputs coming in. Like a very common use case is someone's, someone wants to bring, you know, their Google groups with them, right? So this would be the customers of our users. So you're, you're building your products. You want someone to be able to gain access to projects based on the Google group they belong to, you know, so that will come from your identity provider and you'll kind of like send that along with the request to Oso. And then we can maybe like, you know, translate that to your domain specific logic. Like, oh, okay. So yeah, this group becomes this role and this role can do these things. I see. But Oso also has its own data store that stores state on your users and various permission levels or what, yeah, exactly. what team they're on or what 
are they an admin or a regular person like those? Kind yeah, of precisely. Because you know, for a lot of the authorization data, and this is like one of the really interesting challenges of it, is it's like fundamentally that kind of has to be shared across all your microservices. You, know, you have a document service, and you have a, a project service, or whatever it is. You know, both of those need need to know what role the user has, and so you end up in this situation where it's like, well, do you synchronize the data everywhere? You know, typically you'd put it in a in a service. Um, and we want to be that service, that place that you can put it and, you know, interact with it. In terms of the, the policies and configuration of OSO, what does it look like in terms of testing that and then also uh, version control for the for the policies? Yeah, so, so today we basically recommend that people take kind of a, a GitOps style approach to their policy management. You know, it is just code, have it in a Git repo, um, you know, have your sort of CI, CD workflows around that. Um, I think in the, in, you know, in the future, there's possibility that we do sort of more policy management, but personally, I'm kind of a fan of the, everything that comes with the GitOps workflow is kind of all the tools that we already know exist around it. Um, and then basically the, the kinds of things that we do inside OSO cloud to make it, you know, easy to build those workflows, you know, we make it very easy for you to sort of create new environments based on, you know, you know staging environments or even, you know, per branch testing environments. So you can kind of easily fork your existing uh, authorization logic, you know, deploy a new policy, test it out, and then when you're ready, sort of merge it to, you know, maybe to the main branch into into production. Um, if um, you know, for people who are f- familiar with PlanetScale, for example, I think they're doing something very similar with databases. I think it's a really awesome model. You know, the idea that you know you can sort of fork your database very easily, create a branch, you know, deploy a schema change, and then like when it's tested and ready, it kind of gets merged into production. Um, there's a lot of great stuff there that we're sort of um, kind of cribbing some notes off of. So I imagine given the type of product you're building and space you're building in, you've probably had to think a little more in depth about security than the average, you know, SaaS startup. Not not that the average SaaS startup doesn't care about security, but just as a core infrastructure provider that deals with access, authorization, et cetera. So can you tell us a bit about, um, you know, your overall security posture and any learnings that you've had as you've kind of you've thought through your security and compliance program? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, so I think a lot of it starts with the team. Um, so I myself, for example, I have a PhD in cryptography, not that that's necessarily directly relevant to <laughs> securing SaaS products, but, you know, I, I come from that security world, like um, sort of deeply steeped in a lot of that. We, you know, we have actually a few members on the team who've run, say, product security at other teams. Um, you know, like Intercom, for example, so they've like had that experience of um, securing SaaS infrastructure. And so kind of where that's led us to is, um, you know, the I think the great thing with security these days is there's quite a lot of like low-hanging fruit things you can do that really aren't that hard, but massively increase your um, security profile. You know, so for example, requiring, you know, requiring multi-factor on all, um, you know, all the core products we use. Um, you know, we... You know, actually, somewhat recently, you know, earlier this year, for example, we made it so that you know you can't. No one just has like basic password access to AWS. You know, we're doing it all like federated through you know our G Suite accounts, and so um, you know all the you know user access is configured through that. We um, you know, we don't give people just like full root access to our production instances. You know, a lot of the stuff kind of comes from internally, so um, we sort of make sure like we ha- we ourselves have sort of minimal access to everything we're running. Um, so that's kind of like where you know where we are today is just like doing the kinds of things that you might do, you know, once you start having a full security team, you know, maybe a Series B starting kind of company kind of thing you might do, 
you know, we've had people who've seen this story before. They see that there's stuff you can do like today for quick wins, and we're just trying to do as many of them as we can. So I'm curious to learn a bit more about what the long-term future looks like for OSO. So maybe you could start with the next year or so and then touch a bit on long-term vision. Yeah. So I think the next year, I think the next year you're gonna see a lot of stuff coming out from us very quickly. Um, so you know, OSO Cloud, I mentioned a few times. We're still relatively early on. So, you know, today, for example, we're in a, um, in a private beta. So you can go to the OSA website, you can try out the cloud product. We have a sort of a sandbox to, that you can try out, but you know, if you, for, for users, you know, going to production with it, you know, we, we sort of do that in a more of a, you know, hands-on way. We'll work with people on standard requirements. So OSA cloud pretty early. There's like a lot of stuff I'm really excited, um, you know, for us to be doing on that over the next, uh, over the next year. Um, so just kind of touch on a few of those, I think. We we spoke around a little bit earlier about this sort of the, the policy logic and the sort of how much coding you need to do versus like how much features you can kind of just drop in. Um, so one of the things I'm excited about we have we sort of have in, internally like a sort of a laundry list of twenty sort of common use cases and patterns that we see people need in authorization. Um, you know, everything from you know, roles to group based access to approval flows to usage quotas, everything like this. Um, you know, our, our goal over the next few months is just to kind of like steadily pick them off and have, first of all, like docs so that you can just go, oh, cool, that's that's all I need. Um, but also some kind of like more interactive like UI features where you can just like through the kind of cloud dashboard just be like, I yeah, give me give me groups. You kind of hit a button and your app now just like has that feature. Um, so I think that that one's gonna be that I think that's gonna be like really exciting and give people the ability to just sort of uh, you know go in, add a few new features, see what the policy impact would look like and stuff like that. Um, so I think that'd be a good one. The, and I think from there, like, you know, a lot of this is just going to be about, uh, giving people the confidence that kind of the authorization is just working. There's nothing left for them to do. You know, so like today we, you know, we have things like, you know, uh, request logs, you can kind of see the, the things that have been going through the service, but, um, you know, we want to, we want to be able to give people like kind of more and more insight into, you know, maybe. Here are the parts of your policy that are that are currently being used. Maybe here are parts that aren't. Like you know, suggesting possible ways you can, you know, clean up and refactor your policy. You have some maybe you built a feature, you added some logic, but no one's been using it in months. So suggest that maybe you can uh, remove that from your policy. Um, and I think like what all this does, it just kind of gives you this, uh, as I said, this kind of like peace of mind that your authorization is kind of just there. It's working. It's doing everything it needs you to. And sort of we're we're the ones kind of like on a day to day basis thinking about like. You know, is everything working like it should? Um, so I think that's that's kind of a big piece. Um, the yeah, so that's that's kind of a, a good chunk of it. I think the other the other side of things, again, you know, our, our goal sort of internally, our, our company goal is sort of that you know, in you know, also successful when developers are spending about a tenth of the time on authorization. Today we're starting with the modeling piece. Everything you need to do through the authorization logic and the data models. Um, but I think what we're going to do more and more on, of is the what we think of the, as the enforcement side. It's you know having good integrations in you know API gateways. Maybe for all microservices, you just kind of have a single place to integrate. It's you know having integrations for you know frameworks like you know, Ruby on Rails or um, maybe something like Express, so that. You know, when when it comes to the case of like adding authorization to your app, that becomes you know a matter of a couple of lines of code and you know maybe a few minutes. Um, all of this just in in service of like reducing the time people spend on on authorization. Um, so that's kind of some of the 
yeah, that's kind of some of the, some of the pieces I'm excited about over the over the next year. Um, I think in the like longer longer term, you know, we, you know, there's I kind of mentioned this very briefly at the beginning. You know, in the auth space, there's authentication authorization, but then there's also multiple different places where you would think about doing authorization. Um, and so I would just love to see people using OSO across like all forms of different authorization. So you need, you know, you need access to infrastructure that it becomes super easy just to integrate, you know, so there that you, um, you know, maybe even, I know one, one request we hear a lot is maybe in the future roadmap is, you know, if people could use OSO instead of say AWS IAM, which historically has always been kind of hard to use. And, you know, for a little bit of fun one day, I did do like a little uh, polar to IAM converter thing. So you could write polar policies and get IAM policies out. Um, you know, we would love to just be that kind of like lingua franca everywhere for authorization logic. Um, and yeah, and then sort of finally in the even longer term, <laughs> something I'm kind of personally excited about because um, it was re- related to research I did in my PhD. Um, so one of the projects I worked on there was doing sort of formal protocol analysis of, of TLS, um, you know, how we score the internet. And we, you know, we use that to successfully find some pretty big uh, vulnerabilities in in like the TS 1.3 drafts and things like that. So I've kind of seen the real world power of that. Um, it's something, doing that kind of formal verification, it's something that uh, has been used at pretty great success at AWS. They have a thing called Zelkova for, you know, analyzing if a S3 bucket is public. Um, so yeah, in the kind of like the longer, longer term, you know, you could even imagine us providing, you know, not just that kind of like declarative policy, but even, you know, rigorous proofs around like what, um, you know, what is and isn't possible inside your policy, making sure that, you know, there cannot be any single logical bug inside of it and, and things like that. Um, it's a pretty, yeah, it's a pretty, it's a pretty broad set of things that, that we could potentially get to cover. Um, just kind of ground things again, though, you know, where we are today, again, is like really focusing on helping application developers spending less time with that inside their apps. Um, and so, I think again, more of the more of this kind of shorter term things I think we'll work on is, you know, if you need if you need to implement an, an approval flow system into your app, um, you know, making sure that we can give you all the tools to make that happen as quickly as possible. Well, Sam, thanks so much for joining us. It's been great learning about Oso. Um, for anyone who wants to check it out, it's just osohq.com. Um, so you can go to the website and any other resources that you'd recommend if um, people want to learn. Uh, I think you'll find all the best links are linked from there. Great. Well, thanks again, Sam. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks for listening to PodRocket. You can find us at PodRocketPod on Twitter. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks.